Hello and welcome to Horror's Hour. I'm your host, Varela, and I'm here with my co-host, Singh. How are you doing, Singh? I'm good, man. I'm excited. Episode one, baby. Yeah, let's go. Uh, and we're here to talk about the book Horrors Rising, uh, as well as the format of the show, which is what we're going to start with. Uh, Singh, if you'd like to uh, take us into that. Yeah, sure. I just want to start out by saying um, a big thank you to everyone who shared the podcast so far on Twitter. Uh, we were really excited by the sort of initial response we've had over the first like couple of days the twitter account's been up and we've been talking about the podcast um so if you do enjoy this uh please feel free to tweet about it uh or tell your friends uh because we'd love to get people's opinions on in the comments as well on, on the twitter um but without further ado uh let's jump into it this is how we're going to run each episode we're going to open up basically by talking about the overall book's theme uh, and the baseline plot, sort of like a, a quick overview, uh, and then we'll be we'll just be looking at the plot. We're gonna take let it see where it takes us, um, have a bit of fun with it, um, talk about the characters, what we like or we didn't like uh, about each of them. Um, we're then gonna talk about our favorite moment in the book. Um, in Horace Rising, there's a lot to choose from, as many of you will know. So that'll be interesting to see what Varela comes up with. And then finally, we'll be giving uh, the book a rating. Um, obviously, mine, based on my experience so far in in the Horace Heresy and Varela's only, what, at, at this time of recording, you're one book ahead of this. So yeah. Varela's will be initial impression sort of rating for this, but we'll come back to those. Um, so without further ado... Let's get into the themes. Okay, so the first thing we're going to be looking at is the book's themes. Uh, Varela, do you have any initial opinions on the sort of theme of the book that perhaps Abnett was going for here? By the way, Dan Abnett is king. Uh, we must remember that. Whenever Abnett comes up in the in the Horus Heresy, the king. Dan Abnett, uh, beloved by all. Beloved by all, yeah. <laughs> beloved by all. Uh, okay, so yeah, talk us talk us through the f- the themes you saw in the book. Uh, the main theme I saw, like the, a surface kind of level theme, was just just hope, like the hope of a na- nascent empire. I'm not sure that's how you say it. Uh, so so like they, they've essentially just formed this empire, which is expanding at a very rapid rate, and everybody's hopeful of a quick victory. Even though um, then there's the that contrasting theme. Um, where certain characters aren't so naive as to think that, and they just think that this is going to either go on forever, or they're eventually going to fall. Uh, and many of those, uh, in the later part parts of the book, seem to think that the fall, or that, you know, grinding stop, uh, is going to come sooner than later. Um, and <laughs> to anyone that actually knows 40k lore... Uh, those were the ones that were right, not the naive ones. Um, so yeah, I think it's a very like interesting uh, introduction even into the 40k universe uh, where if you listen to those wise characters, I guess, uh, you get a, a glimpse of what might be further on. Yeah, we, it, 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 it ultimately it's setting the, the stage and I think that that really comes through is in, a, in the themes as well. I, I think a lot of, you know, as you're sort of talking about there, the wiser characters sort of seeing um, that this could go on forever, whilst um, some of the other characters perhaps have have a hubris. And I think that's a big part of what he's done with, with that theme is, is he's establishing the, especially the Astartes characters um, as, a, as the holier than thou. Not necessarily t- as much, though, I feel like in you know in some ways they they do feel a bit you know uh superior but yeah. I in other ways they come across in this book they come across a little bit more human than they may be p- portrayed in the sort of religious sect style of 40k what do you think yeah i think there's definitely a lot of that um mostly y- you can see it mostly um in the half to the later part of the book, uh, where a lot of characters uh, are outright, you know, almost fighting uh, over these kinds of views, uh, where some, you know, when, when they think, oh, the, the authorities isn't really human anymore, it's something above it, they seem to uh, 
just think that they're gonna win it outright. But exactly yeah, because they're that you know really strong kind of uh, character. Uh, but then we also see a lot of, uh, and most of the uh, what I say you know uh, not naive characters uh, s- seem to be the ones that actually witness other Astartes just get you know obliterated, um, which yes. I guess would be a kind of humbling sight uh, for them. Uh, and yeah, maybe and, the reason and, behind it. And these Astartes, they they know everything as well because obviously when you take into account forty k, they. A lot of stuff's been been lost, but this is at an age where everyone knows how the Astartes are made. The emperor is alive, um, so they def in in some ways they may even feel more superior than the. Well, not necessarily. They 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 might be a, they're more self aware of what they are uh, compared to the forty k ones. Where the forty k ones, this is legend. That what we're reading at the moment to the those in the current timeline of the law, this is ten thousand years ago. So it's it's literally just uh whispers and and a few pages um but i think you know abnett's done really well here with the themes and sort of setting the stage um you know if i was a first time reader i would probably guess it's not gonna this series isn't gonna end with a happy ending yeah <laughs> but, um and that that i mean but it's subtle in the way it does it okay so what we're looking at next is of course the meat and potatoes. It's the plot of the book. Um, wow, what a, what a book! That's all I can say to start off with. Is wow. What about you? Uh, I was there the day Horus slew the emperor. Is the the only thing I can say. Am I right? Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I just seem saying wow. Um, what an opening to a to a book series, and and the fact is, I imagine it was good in two thousand six. It was a really strong opening to a book, but now with the hindsight of it being 2021, they're not even finished technically with the Horus Heresy yet, and uh, and now they've got what like 50 novels plus the now five Siege of Terror books plus all the short stories. That opening sentence still holds up, I would say. Yeah, most definitely. It's the kind of thing that makes you look back and go like, "Hold up, are, are, are they like?" starting at the end and then going back yeah did it get did it get you uh it, it got me for a tiny bit but i did question it uh, um yeah sure i mean I, I did question it because it didn't sound right to me the way like he tried to tell the story it didn't sound like a uh essentially a chaos corrupted marine i guess because uh, you know he was just talking but then again that's just me dehumanizing chaos i suppose uh yeah i lo- i thought i i fell for it properly and then it's basically just logan uh logan sorry uh going like prank, <laughs> Big no, prank nothing prank. nothing nothing that crazy would ever happen guys i mean come on <laughs> it just sounds funny to tell the story that way um so i thought that was very clever now part one of the book is almost entirely takes place on What's the name of a planet again? Uh, 6319. 6319, which is, of course, named that because that's the... Um, it's the 63rd Expeditionary Fleet, and that's the 19th planet they have brought to compliance, as they put it. Also because they um, can't have two terrors. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I do... Uh, and I think it's a really c- cool start. It... It basically proves because a big part of 40k um, is that no one's a no one's a good guy, right? Everyone's bad in their own way. There might just be some who are bad for slightly good reasons, and that and this this almost I say like is the same um, because obviously you have Sejanus, who for the longest time, by the way, folks, I thought was a knight. <laughs> because I listened to the audiobook and it was beautifully done. Um but the way he said it was Sir Janus. Yeah. Not like Surgenus or anything. Uh so I was I you know, as we get all the characters I'm like, oh you know, maybe it's the Lunar Wolves' thing is that they knight people. But why is no one else a knight? You know? Yeah. Um and uh obviously he Horace is like he's like it, uh, so Janus is Horace's sort of right hand man isn't it he's definitely the, he's the oldest 
of Horace's confidants. I don't quite remember uh, whether he was like straight up his right hand uh, man, but he was um, like a very influential uh, figure within the Legion. It seems like everybody loved him. Uh, everybody, you know, wanted advice from him, and uh, the loss uh, of him puts a really big strain on uh, Loken. Uh, mostly when yeah, exactly. when further events in the book take place. Yeah, we'll get onto the character of Loken a little bit, but I think um, sixty three nineteen and the way they handle it is actually really ironic, and it's still showing that they're just not as bad guys. The Imperium, it's still pretty fascist. It's comply or die, is how it goes. Um, uh, what? Was there anything that, that struck out for you uh, reading about like sixty three nineteen? So obviously you get a big battle, but there's a lot else. There's a lot more going on after. But in, ter- in terms of a battle, did was there anything that sprang out at you? Uh, well, yeah, I, I suppose the um, the circumstances uh, within the system itself. Uh, again, as someone that knows forty k lore, it just screamed warp fuckery at me. So fucking probably Zinch had a hand in all of that but in the battle itself uh it makes it very clear that astartes aren't the immortal gods that they seem to be uh for a big part of it like i don't know i I think it was like three when the invisibles first uh first attacked them like three astartes that fell within a few seconds just got absolutely annihilated and they couldn't even fight back because they couldn't they could barely see them they could see him but just barely um yeah, and it, it's um, it really shows the vulnerability of even the most overpowered characters in the setting, which I think is it's, very good. It shows their morality, and then at the same time, though, it's there's a lot of them. It gives you the sense of in that battle that there's a okay, these aren't these aren't rookie chapter numbers. These are big. These are big numbers because uh, you know obviously these these lunar wolves just keep on going and going. Yeah, uh, and reinforcements arriving all the time. Um, and and obviously that battle ends with the introduction of Horus uh slaying Loken's prank emperor um which i thought was i don't know i i mean I, i've heard some things i feel like that might be foreshadowing uh yeah yeah definitely I, Slightly. i'm not going to say much about it but <laughs> you know the it hasn't been written yet but from what i've heard maybe there's something Something like that yeah, coming up at a later date. So something going uh, on there. One thing else I, also I, I really like, so obviously another big part of, of part one is it introduces this new um, type of character that, you know, is someone who's now quite a bit further ahead in the Horus Heresy, but by no means finished. The The remembrances are a really good choice of sort of character type. They're basically their job is to be nosy and to find out stuff which means that not only do you get a human perspective but it's not like a human soldier who isn't gonna like care about how the planet they've just conquered runs or the opinions of a populace or or anything weird going on because he's got a job to do whereas these people their job is to be nosy um yeah so as, i don't i don't as a contract contrast sorry uh, to the soldiers they're just there to be like look things up while the soldiers are just you know following orders uh, yeah you get remembrances you also get um orators don't you uh, iterators basically yeah. iterators yeah propaganda ministers they'd be called yeah. <laughs> in the 21st century um but you know really interesting i don't know how much um abnett came up with this stuff writing the book i there may I know there's a there's quite a lot of existing law before Ab, on the heresy before Abnett was asked to write it, but I feel like these are stuff that he's at least elaborated on on the fly. Uh, this sort of cast of human characters and roles, and 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 it it works really well because it sets up a lot of a lot of um, what's the words I'm looking for uh, possibilities. Oh, and basically people people sticking their nose in, you know. Yeah. Um, you you were a particular fan of um, Ignis Carcassi, weren't you? Yeah, I kind of like his character. Um, the whole they they he, hate me because I tell them the truth uh, kind of meme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The um, critical thinking in the Imperium of Man. 
not something that we hear about a lot in 40k um but obviously it can happen in 30k but it just means that a squad of imperial drunk imperial soldiers or not even drunk just imperial soldiers are going to come and beat the snot out of you yeah that's that's basically that's basically what having your own opinion is going to result in um, still better than having so a squad it, of inquisitors um you know yeah exactly um easier punishment i think most people would take the beating yeah um but i you know i thought i thought it was really interesting they're not they're still we're going back to that theme of hope there's still that there but it's and and like rejoice you have been liberated sort of thing but it's kind of uh the population of 6319 is still in shock and um they're basically just going to get blasted with propaganda now for the rest of their planet's lifetime and it kind of sh- it kind of lifts the lid a little bit on the fact that the Imperium is still. It's not, it's not actually a utopia for everyone, you know. Yeah, it's more like the facade of a utopia. With um, I I remember the uh, architect's name, but the the fact that he came in, uh, and you know was showing all these projects to uh, recover the main city in sixty three nineteen uh, to to its further uh, prior glory, I should say. Uh, and even for yeah it's all like prefabricated as yeah. well though isn't it they just sort of plop cities back in and they're like okay come live here now yeah uh speaking of critical thinking garviel loken the most likable miserable bastard <laughs> in in the imperium as of this book what did what did you make of uh his his personality we'll start with his personality uh well he seemed to be very uh critical of his surroundings in the beginning not not as much in the sense of um the imperium itself but what was going on uh, like immediately around him you know uh he seemed to actually put thought behind his actions i guess would be the best way to describe it for for this first part of the book yeah he's a he's a level-headed guy yeah that's it isn't he um but he's got the he's also he's a little bit of a pessimist not you know he sits on the fence in a lot of the debates in this book but sometimes when he does weigh in he has a he has a very strong opinion on the matter which i which i like um and so he obviously sir janus not sir janus <laughs> so not the not the knight is you know i don't know how he dies i can't quite remember probably not very nice in a nice manner but he opens up a spot on the Mournival. Can you explain what the Mournival is real quick? Uh, I think I'm going to go over why Sejanus died, because it was kind of... kind of. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it was very... Oh, do, do tell. It, it's do tell. how the war on 6319 uh, happened, if I'm not wrong. So uh, That's that's right, yeah, yeah. he was on a diplomatic He's, he mission, goes... and he just got ambushed and just absolutely murked. <laughs> yeah, it's diplomatic, perhaps not the... Uh, comply or die again. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, sometimes some that this reaction has to happen quite a lot i mean uh, if you give people that option um they i feel like they may well often choose uh to to fight back that's just i mean i'm not an emperor so that's just one man's opinion yeah Um, there's the whole thing where if you gaze upon the emperor you know you you just can't choose but i I doubt that even before you uh, just can't get enough yeah that's can't look away um, so yeah, he gets invited to the Mournival. The Mournival is a is essentially the group of sort of uh, not always the most senior, but people that Horace Lupercal, who is obviously who the series is written after. The big boy. Um, I'm sure I'm sure you all know that. Um, they're, they're, he surrounds himself with people that he thinks will com- I think complement his opinion. Is probably the the best way to say it. I, uh, I think it's not just like compliment what he's saying. Like, uh, I'm guessing you're saying that with an e, not a, an i. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's yeah. more like um, they complement each other's opinion, and so uh, you know wh- when they uh, when they whisper in the war master's ear, uh, it's going to be mostly uh, a well discussed idea, I suppose. Uh, and then when yeah, Horace yeah, uses yeah. it in a diplomatic setting, uh, like each one has a, you know, role uh, to get what Horace wants. It's something wants. that, 
is something you can predict can all, will almost inevitably be filled with yes men. Um, and I feel if Horace was like an A-list rapper, <laughs> it would just be his. It would be his yes men, um, telling him he's he's that compliance was dope. Yeah, the squad. Uh, the squad. Yeah, rolling rolling heavy. So, um, it, I'm trying to just to make sure I remember who's in it. So we have miserable bastard Garville Logan, and he has a special role to play that we'll touch on in a second within the Mournable. But then we also have. Uh, who else do we have? Uh, we got the first captain, Abaddon. Abaddon. Heard of him. Yeah. I think he even plays an important part later on. Yeah, maybe. I'm saying that a lot. Some would say he doesn't He doesn't do much, but uh, yeah. He's quite... He's not miserable. He's more spiteful. Yeah, definitely. He's just, he's just not a very nice guy. Um, but we're talking about complimenting aren't we uh sorry not compl- but sort of like formulating horus is trying to surround himself with people who will give him views from every side of the table and abaddon uh is his first captain so he's obviously commanding sort of the elite troops that are very aggressive and he's an aggressive guy so that's sort of what he's bringing bringing to the table in my opinion what do you think yeah he's definitely the guy that you know spurs to action before he thinks and that's uh really what horus wants out of him uh, I suppose. Yeah, it's a, it's a good trait to have in certain situations, I imagine. Um, we also have Little Horus, which just feels like something I would like that goes with the normal Horus action figure at, in a toy shop, you know. <laughs> uh, or or he's just like a smaller version for younger kids. And that's, I mean, uh, in, in some ways, that's what he is, isn't he? He's because he, of the way the genetics work of how they're, the Legionnaires are created Horus Axeman has basically taken to Horus's gene stock in a way that makes him look like the guy but just, just smaller um, yeah he's the son which, of Horus before the sons of Horus are a thing uh, is the, the whole thing oh yeah uh, exactly and uh, for me he seems he seems like a, a more down the middle guy but with a little bit more of a leaning towards Abaddon he's a little bit more aggressive in my um in my if to my recollection yeah i suppose that would be right would you disagree no no i i think that's uh that's totally reasonable i i don't have anything to say against that really and then um and then we have sort of the other side of the fence is uh miserable bastard garville loken and uh torgadon captain torgadon who I've seen illustrations of now, and he now reminds me of that. The and and also the way he's, the um, the narrator does his voice in the audiobook. He sounds exactly like that guy, the explorer. He reminds me a lot of that explorer with the orange hair, from that cartoon. What was his uh, name? Nigel Thornberry. Smashing. Smashing. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly, that's exactly who he sounds like. Um, and how I sort of imagine going about his day, and he's a really he's a cheerful guy, and he's a bit of a he's essentially a bit of a nicer guy than Aximan and and Abaddon, uh, to my recollection. And then, um, so Loken Loken is basically feel I think he believes he's out of his depth. Um, he's he so Janus was quite old, so he feels to fill his place as a young captain because he's not he's not been a captain as long as a lot of the other ones a lot of the other captains are more senior than him yeah so uh obviously horace brings him on for a particular purpose you want to to explain what that purpose is oh uh so just like you said so it it isn't just a ragtag uh rap entourage um they need a naysayer and that the you know horace chose not just horace uh, as we'll see further in uh, chose uh, Garviel Loken as the naysayer of the group uh, and it makes a lot of sense he, as I said before he does seem to be the critical thinker out of all of them uh, that's right that's right now you've said entourage now I just want a cheesy TV series <laughs> produced by Mark Wahlberg all about the Mournival, which and it's just it's just a 40 a 30k ripoff of entourage uh, which is not a good show don't watch it Mar- but Marky I would watch Mark, it if it was, back, please. if it was, if it was the Mournival, 
And now, then, we're, now we're talking. Um, yeah, I really like that. I really like how he's not lent into. He leans into. Sorry, he does lean into Loken being a sort of Naismith, and and goes, oh well, that's why I want you on this team. This is why I need you up here. I need some guy whose job is to second guess everything I do, which I think is really cool. Now, um, let's get a bit spooky, shall we? Let's talk. Let's talk about the Whisperheads. What did you think of a of a Whisperhead? Uh, I immediately thought demon. Uh, I, I I assume that a lot of uh, people uh, that didn't know when they first read uh, were just kind of you know confused and maybe even fell for the whole propaganda thing. But the the first thing I thought when I saw uh, Samus's first words uh, when when they start descending upon it, we should probably go behind that in, in a second, uh, like back. But it, the, oh, true, the yeah, first, back, sure. yeah, yeah. The first thing I thought when I saw those uh, Samus's here words was like, "This guy about to fuck some shit up. He's a, he's a demon. He's gonna do some some weird shit to uh, to Logan's company." And uh, yeah, look how it, how that turned out. <laughs> Yeah, as with all uh, segments that we perceive to uh, in books that we perceive to perhaps have been written with a uh, an intent to scare, we will we will give it a score on the spook meter, and I think I think it's a solid, as I said, a solid seven point six, which is good, which is out of ten, which is I think is a good score. So essentially, um, the Whisperheads is like the the planet that we've been focused on this whole time. It's its last. Um, it's the last resistance hub. Um, there's some mountain fighters who are still, who are making a hard time for the Imperial Army, um, and Loken. Oh, we, we have. A, oh yeah, we need we need to talk about that meeting a little bit more. There's a big meeting, isn't there? Yeah, on the strategium of the vengeful spirit. I think it is. Uh, yep. Yeah, so the mournful will meet to discuss what to do about these, what to do about these rebels. Um, and what do, what does Loken choose to do again? Uh, Loken's just a, in a full Astartes mindset, uh, in complete contrast with what he's been before that. And he's like, "Oh, if I if I don't finish the job, my honor is tainted." So first, yeah, because they the, kind of they're, yeah, they're the first to to land on sixty three nineteen, aren't they? And they don't want to leave the planet without you know doing without doing their job yeah. and clearing out all the. Uh, all the re- the resistance, um, and so Horace is like, okay, uh, and I think there's some, there's some press back. I think some people want. I think some of the Mournival want to crack on, but Horace says, you know, okay, Loken, uh, you can go down and and join the Imperial Army and and finish, uh, finish it, and he meets someone quite interesting. Loken meets someone quite interesting after the Mournival meeting, doesn't he? Uh, I don't quite remember that part. If you could uh, remind me real quick. So, I believe this is the point where uh, the Imperial oh. Fist makes his entrance. Yeah, okay, okay. I, I remember now. Uh, the big boy himself, so, isn't it? Yeah. Who I believe may be one of the only Primarchs who doesn't wear his Legion's colour, interestingly enough, because he wears gold. Uh, but obviously his chapters eat like gold and yeah, yellow. So we'll give, a, we'll give him a... Well, Met Gala will give him a pass at the fashion, so I think he'll be all right. Um, but yeah, Rogal Dawn basically pulls Loken aside, and we we had some indication that Loken was, um, or backed to be on the Mournival by another Primarch, and Rogal Dawn reveals to that he is, um, the that he is that Primarch. That yeah, he's the man, the man who made it happen for Loken, and essentially it comes to a conclusion that. Uh, Loken, Loken's been played, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I was kind of oh shit. Wait, is this when like the ultimate Horus comes out, and I finally figured out that you know he's already um, he's already a bad guy? But nah, it was a pretty minor play. Uh, Horus wanted someone, uh, and he knew that Loken would be that person uh, to say that they wanted to go back and unleash the Luna Wolves on these uh, last bastions of uh, resistance. In sixty-three nineteen, uh, it's part of it's part of a propaganda effort, isn't it? It's it's to it's because they've they've got they basically want to show what the imperial will do to anyone who chooses to resist. Yeah, compliance now that the planet's been taken. Um, and it's a very it's actually a really good battle scene. I thought 
I, I enjoyed it a lot more than the than the initial fight on 6319 because this is where because uh, in 6319 Loken encounters the invisibles who are quite adept at taking down Astartes and that shows their vulnerability but this is just some rebels with like ballistic weapons in the mountains and you get they land terminators and he's terminated i believe there's like a there's a bridge or a causeway yeah it's a bridge I think. um a bridge that like the imperial army just can't get across it's world war one trench warfare style these i would guess they're cataphracty terminators just nah don't care mate on we go smash through it uh, and I believe and shit, lighting them up, and they're just like not even a dent, bro. That's exactly right. And and then the the um, the remembrance has come by that bridge later on. I remember reading, and and they're they're all trying not to throw up because, which is quite interesting in itself. Because there's there's some key events that we'll talk about in a second that happen in the Whisperheads. No spoilers, but I'm sure you all know what it is. Um, but the um, remembrances. This is for a lot of them because it's sort of the remember they're the first remembrances across the. Uh, they've been there the longest, I believe, because I believe Horus's War Master has taken them, has has had to set the example and take remembrances on. So he's the first Legion to actually take anyone with him. But even for them who have been there a while, it's the first time they've been allowed to see the immediate aftermath of the Astartes. Of, of the Astartes, and it's you know, the janitors haven't been through yet. There's no. There's no, there's no bin men on planet yet. This is the, the, the raw, after the fighting mess that Astartes leave behind, uh, and they're all trying not to throw up and stuff. Yeah, pulls um, around leaves and, and, a lot and, more than just a bullet wound. That's right. Uh, and I don't want to again, I don't want to spoil anything, but I think some of Abnet's uh, bolter porn is actually quite tame <laughs> compared to some of the other authors. Uh, this is this is pretty light, um, but the the Whisperheads gives us our first look at at um, the the main the enemy of this series, which is the sort of the Chaos Gods and uh, their lackeys. So, do you want to take us? Do you want to take us through what what the events that gave us a seven point six a seven point six on the Spook Meter? Yeah. So. Uh if I remember correctly, after, uh, essentially after uh, the whole fortress is clear, uh, Loken gets a uh, call, uh, I don't remember from who, but may maybe it was straight from, uh, uh, how, how would you say it, Z Xavier Jubal, I'm guessing? Yeah, I just say Jubal. Yeah. If in doubt, just use a second name. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I'm not sure if it was from him or if it was from someone that found him. Uh, but essentially he converges with Nero Vipers and uh, Vipers' squad, I believe, uh, on Jubal's position, and he finds out that Hellebore's squad, which is the squad that Sergeant Jubal uh, was in charge of, is gone, and it's just Jubal standing in the middle of a room uh, with, like, a little fountain kind of thing. Uh, is it not a pit? Uh, is it, sorry? Or is it a, I thought it was a big pit. Yeah, I think, I think it's both. I think it's, like, a platform in the middle of uh, a pit with, like, a little fountain kind of thing. Uh, Shout out the architect who made that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's just uh, essentially repeating the message uh, that they've been, they'd been heard and uh, hearing, sorry. Uh, all the way. They've been heard. heard and <laughs> I'm a Texan. That, been heard. That they, they'd been hearing uh, on their way down on the Stormbirds, uh, which is uh, the whole Samus is here, uh, watch out, behind you, the whole thing. And obviously they're all kind of weirded out, like, where's Hellebore squad? What's this guy saying? Uh, and, uh, th this is where the whole demon thing comes in, isn't it? That Jubal just kind of starts showing super Astartes force instead of superhuman, isn't it? And just... He starts, yeah, he starts by gunning people down. Yeah, because, uh, Loken tells him, oh, uh, apprehend him, essentially, and two of the Astartes go to grab him, and he just fucking shoots him, just ends their lives right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, he slaughters most of, uh, Nero Vipus' squad, I believe. And then they tie, they do restrain him. I don't think he actually comes into his demon form until a little bit later. Is yeah, that right? Or is he turning into... He's, he's still got all that, like, demon host strength, right? Because uh, he, yeah. he grapples with Loken on some set of stairs, which I don't know where they came from. They weren't in the first description of the room, I Again, don't think. shout out the architect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, shout out uh, the architect. We're really invested <laughs> in the makeup of this 
these Whisperhead Mountains. And yeah, he just kind of grapples with Loken. Loken somehow, uh, you know, supposedly kills him. He thinks he's killed him. Uh, but as we know, demon hosts aren't, aren't that, you know, weak. Uh, and later on, we got the whole, uh, the whole demon transformation when he's uh, regrouped with a couple other uh, Astartes, I believe. Yeah, it's the typical, like, film soldiers encounter something supernatural and get their butt whooped basically slash the cliche of having the civilians in the in the mix and because it's just it's like the remembrance arrived remembrances arrived don't they uh, they've brought, they've, they're, they're um, like in the tunnels at that point isn't it the one that arrives is yeah Sigerman, the iterator uh the iterator sorry well yeah no they're all there they're all there they all see it um mercedes Ollerton and Euphrates Keeler, who uh, Mercedes Ollerton is like a picked artist, who's who's quite who's of some renown. Uh, she, she's not there. Yeah. Uh, she couldn't make it down because she was late for some uh, reason. I don't remember what it she's was. Late. Yeah, she missed the bus. Yeah, essentially. So they brought on another uh, remembrancer. Uh, oh man, I'm so fired. <laughs> <laughs> that's her. That's her waking up. Her alarm hasn't gone off. Sorry, you're right. You're right. Yeah, you free Keeler and Cinderman see it, I believe, because they they sort of form a friendship. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, I I thought it was a really strong start to the Horus Heresy there, that part one of of the first book. Um. And, you know, it's obviously setting the scene. We sort of get a reveal, don't we? We get a reveal that Horus. Horus knows about the warp. He's been he's been told by by his dad, pops, Biggie, Jimmy Space, Jimmy Space that that there's stuff out there. He doesn't know a whole lot though, but he does reveal that it's from the warp, which is obviously everyone has knowledge of because it's what they travel through. It's what they've, you know, it's how they travel through space, uh, like hyperdrive. Uh, uh, messages, it's messages yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, um, but they didn't know that there was anything malicious in there or, or that it could do anything like this. And then. That's where Horus reveals to Loken that that's because obviously the Emperor has now left the Great Crusade, the big uh, sort of space expansion, and but no one really knew why. But Horus reveals that it's because he thinks he's found a way to uh, conquer the warp. I believe it. Uh, at the time, at the time of reading this, I believe that it was um, it was that he was trying to conquer the warp not necessarily get around it which is what he's actually doing but that's for a later book yeah um so very strong start um and i think we'll just we'll go straight into part two I, now we're not going to talk about this. an old man getting yeeted across a room or two people getting nommed by some weird demon <laughs> well you know, i mean you have <laughs> and it, yeah it's pretty it's pretty again some of the stuff I've been listening to recently, I won't give away which book, but some some of the violence recently in the Horrors Heresy has, has stepped it up a lot. I think Abner was trying to see how much he could get away with. He he, he walked so others could run when it comes to the uh, yeah. when it comes to violence. Now we'll move on to we'll move on to part two, I think, which has perhaps my favourite uh, segment in. I mean. Did you? What did you think of part two? The book's in three parts. What did you think of part uh, two? I thought, you know, part two was um, the less memorable for me. I'm going to be honest with you. The, like, the things that happened there, sure, they're significant, but they're just not, you know, uh, as impactful as part one or even part three to yeah. me. What I, what I would call part two, a lot of the plot is based... It, it's, it's not, in quotation marks, not Starship Troopers, <laughs> is basically how I would describe this. Um, there, there's multiple legions. I like that. I like the. There's multiple legions involved all of a sudden. Um, so there's there's a planet that is causing a lot of trouble. There's a species on the Mega Arachnid, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Mega Arachnid, which is almost straight out of Starship Troopers, which is no bad thing necessarily, but it's they're killing a lot of Astartes. Again, we're learning that Astartes aren't uh, as powerful necessarily as they're perceived to be in in 40k they're they're a bit more squishy bit more mortal squishy yeah definitely squishy when they're getting speared by giant spider things <laughs> giant, spider giant thing. robot spider giant robot yeah, spider things swords for arms i mean swords for, it's just like it can't get any worse can it you're like 
Oh, mega spiders. That's not good. Then, oh, they're, they're robots. Oh. And you're like, some oh. of them can fly? Oh, God. They, they fly now? <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it's just getting worse all the time for the Blood Angels, I believe, is on, that, are on yeah. the planet at the time. And then they're the oh-so-brilliant Emperor's Children. Look at me. I'm a child of the Emperor. Show They show up under the command of Eidolon. Do not like that guy. I don't think anyone's meant to. Yeah. I think people are meant to like him because he's so terrible. I mean, that's a big part of Warhammer, right? <laughs> Is liking people because they're so bad. Uh, like Fabius Bile and stuff. They're, um, oh, don't get me because into they're Fab so... Fabius Bile, bro. He's going to become a loyalist again. I'm telling you. He actually makes an appearance in this book, no? No, I don't think so. Okay, spoiler. <laughs> Sorry. Um... But yeah, so the Emperor's children show up. They are just like, I'm going in. I'm fabulous. I've just polished my armor. It's, I look great. There's no way I can die. And they and they drop in and they start dying. Yeah. They start dying. So, so there's a couple of there's a couple of good ones or at least interesting ones. What did you make of? Uh, we'll take one each. What did you make of Soltarvitz? Soltarvitz is essentially the Emperor's children, uh, Garfield Loken, really. Isn't he? Yeah, he's he's sensible. Yeah, he's the guy that he's goes like, choose. oh, th- this dude that's leading us into combat, he's kind of a douche, but, you know, I can't really say that in front of the men, I'm, so I'm just going to think it. He, he's my boss. Yeah, he's my boss. I can't get fired now, dude. I'm too invested in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a long way back to terror at this yeah. point. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and he's, he's with his... I don't think they're friends. He's with Lucius, Captain Lucius. I think, you know... Like how Eidolon is Tarvitz's boss, Lucius is the weird co-worker who's on the they're, other... They're actually like, he best shares. friends, uh, if you read it. Are yeah, they? yeah, yeah, they're, they really... If I read it, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, if you read it again, I have read sorry. The... Uh... I read... If I reread it. <laughs> but yeah, it's... I, I think that murder, or um, what was it called again? Spiderlin? Yep. Ap- apt... No, it's ap- aptly named murder. It's both, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, I think... Uh, like... Murder is where uh, they start growing apart because Lucius uh, just follows Eidolon um, blindly. Essentially, he's the kind of guy that he's, he's a, the Abaddon. He's a really s- of the Emperor's children. Stereotypical, stepi- stereotypical Emperor's child, yeah. isn't he? He, he's he's leaning a lot on his skill with a blade and his sort of flair, rather than being a team player. And I think that leads that leads to him taking quite a lot of casualties in itself because he's just sort of he's just doing his own thing and he just so happens to have. X hundred space marines he's meant to look after but doesn't really. Yeah, uh, one thing uh, that I thought uh, really interesting in this part about uh, Lucius specifically is that he does show that he's not um, he's not just straight up an emperor's child uh, in the sense that he uh, quote unquote taints his pride by taking one of the uh, megarachnid arms and using it as a sword. So it does show that at least before murder he was uh, he did think. He wasn't just like the unthinking murderer that he later becomes. Uh, yeah, um, we know what we know who he is in forty k. Yeah. So it'll obviously be interesting for you to see how he gets there, because um, it's quite a big drop off. Even for even as a, even though he's not a particularly nice guy in this book, for him to end up where he ends up um, will take some doing. So Definitely. I yeah I look forward to hearing your opinions on that. Now while this is all happening on murder. My favorite, with with the hindsight of it being 2020, the fact this was written in 2006 and it is aged in such a funny way, for me, uh, is is brilliant. And so basically, during a lot of the sort of main plot, there's talk of lodges, right? Yeah. And lodges are uh, all we really know uh, from what look because we see it, we only hear about them from Loken's perspective, which is that they're uh they're just they're quite they're very secretive and it's invite only and he's he's attempted to ban everyone from his squads in his company from going and he gets invited to one by Horace Aximand and it's just a frat it's just a fraternity i you know they they go in there and they're like aha loken did join us and i i like to think that they're all like they're all benching and drinking like Budweiser light beer because um, they're basically they're like if if you you could the way they t- so what they they're talking in like high gothic uh, or low gothic and 
but you could easily translate it very easily to any fraternity in uh in the u.s it'd be like bro we're psi alpha lupercal how much do you uh, lift bro how much do you lift we're just like broing out uh in the sun uh in this but it's more like in this weird engine compartment <laughs> with our bros um and so Loken is uh Loken is invited to join us and he basically he sees that it's just a frat uh they all just hang out and they just talk about their kills and how how good they all are and rank doesn't mean anything um so it's almost like a communist fraternity anarchy there you go <laughs> and an anar- anarchist fraternity um uh, which is exactly what you want uh in the middle of your military organization um but it's not a cult they stress that it's not a cult and Loken actually leaves feeling pretty relieved he doesn't he does he's you know having experienced him a lot of his squad are there sort of his squad members are there near vipers there Torgarden is there his his mate who's like his best mate especially in the Mournable um so he leaves and he feels pretty he doesn't join he's invited to join but there's no pressure and he's allowed to leave um and he he chooses not to join right there and then but he's like wow okay maybe maybe I misinterpreted this foreshadowing maybe I too can go to fraternity parties now yeah, so he rushes a frat. He has a great time. <laughs> Maybe they'll let him in. Um, there's some other interesting stuff that uh, we will just quickly brush over. Happens in part two. Because the part two, a lot of it is, is takes place on murder. A lot of it's fighting. Torgadon goes down. Um, he, like, whoops a lot of robot spider sword arm. But, uh, and then he gets quite angsty with the Empress children. But that's kind of a subplot. Um, and... We also have the Laetitio Divinitatis for people who might need their memory rejogging. Varela, what's for the Le- Le- Laetitio? <laughs> the Laetitio Divinitatis. Uh, I couldn't join. I it's can't my, say it. My boy Lorgar's uh, fantasy Bible. Uh, he just goes like, "Oh yeah, bro. You know how you know how the emperor's got all these amazing powers and stuff that can only mean one thing. Man's a god. We got we got to get on our knees right fucking now and start praying. You know." And the emperor kind of shoots him down for it, uh, but yeah, that doesn't. That's a, li- that's a little bit of a later book. A little bit of a later book, but you're right. Yeah, it's it's been going on a while, and it's uh, her Euphrates Keeler, This remembrance uh, is is praying to the emperor, which kind of demonstrates it's everywhere now. Um, and we also we've learned that that's not cool. Uh, not cool. The bro. emperor, the emperor doesn't want to be space space prophet he's quite content uh just being a bloke who just happens to be incredibly powerful he's and wise god, he's a space guy he's just i'm just a normal space guy yeah. like the rest of you um so that's really interesting the that that side of it um and then that brings us to part three the final oh, part i do think it's important uh, to uh, note that um Eidolon just gets a fucking ravaging from uh, Tor- Torgadon, doesn't he? Yeah, he gets chewed out yeah. quite a bit. Oh, do they actually fight? I don't they think they don't they do. get to fighting, but he's like, um, he's just chilling with Soltarvitz's squad, Lucius and Eidolon, I think. And Eidolon goes like, yeah, dude, destroying that tree, my idea, right? When he just chewed Soltarvitz out for doing it. And yeah. then one, one of uh, Soltarvitz's squad uh, just goes like, dude, it wasn't him, it was actually Tarvitz. And Torgadon just goes like full on, you, you, you're not my dad. When Eidolon just goes like, yo, I'm a Lord Commander, bro. And he's like, you're not my dad, I'm yeah, gonna chew yeah. you out, bro. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. So for most legions, it'd be sticks and stones may break my bones, but, na- but names will never hurt me. But Emperor's children, definitely anything hurts them. Yeah. Uh, even if, you know, you know anything, Torgadon basically just gives him, it's a rap battle. Torgadon smacks him <laughs> down. Eidolon doesn't even bother getting back up. Um, which leads to some animosity um, between the between the between the legions. But it's kind of at a level where it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Is there anything else you think that's prevalent in part two before? Uh, no. I think you said it all uh, with that last bit. Alright. Well, part three then. Part three. The rat cometh. <laughs> The biggest rat man in all 
of Warhammer. Can, uh, fantasy, 40k, 30k. Pro- proof that I, Skaven exists in 40k, really, I'd say. Yeah. 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 Proof. This, it, he's such a rat, he ties the universes of Warhammer Fantasy and 40k together. <laughs> um, I'll give you a few seconds to guess who it is. Yep. Erebus. That's the confirmed. guy. That's him. Confirmed. If, if anyone, you know, if it was... If you guessed anyone else, you probably want to reread part three. Uh, biggest, biggest rat, biggest rat award for this episode goes to goes to Erebus. He's going to get it every episode, just so you know. Um, but yeah, part part three, part three essentially, spiders, spiders are sort of beaten. They're beating them back, and then um, these sort of these spaceships appear that aren't imperial. Everyone freaks out. Um, and it re- they reveal that they are now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they're hu- they're humans, but they've merged with, they've evolved alongside the, the, what the Imperial were called Xenos. But yeah, you, you they're know, like a uh, they're a um, lost branch of humanity, but like in more than the sense that they're just separated. They're different genetically now, even though they're still human. Uh, but the main thing is that they cooperate with filthy Xenos, isn't it? That's true, and that causes a lot of division. And I really like that. I really like that there's an argument to be had at this stage of the Imperium. We've sort of, I've sort of been talking a bit of smack at, about how how the Imperium have acted so far with comply or die. Um, but the way they handled the Interrex kind of restored my faith a little bit there. That the, they're willing to have a conversation, but it doesn't happen in 40k. Um, they wouldn't even open. They wouldn't even answer the phone. They block the number. Uh, Probably and bomb a few planets call. while at it as well. Yeah, yeah, and and all while ghosting them, which is just rude. <laughs> but they don't ghost them here. So so there's a there's a dispute with not just within the Mournival, but also uh, Eidolon weighs in second biggest rat. He was he what I mean he's not even close to getting rat of the book award, but um, he's 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 ratting. He's rat like in this, um, and Abaddon also. Abaddon and Eidolon, uh, to quote Star Wars, just want to go blast them and and engage the Interrex before they even know what hit them. Well, but a lot of people actually have the opinion of uh, of trying to cooperate or at least negotiate. What did you think? What did you think of that? Uh, I thought it was a good um, interpretation of what the Emperor would do because there's a, that whole thing where the Emperor actually collab- collaborates with a lot of Xenos uh, races, like the Eldar and stuff. And uh, the fact that Horus has that thing in the, in the back of his head at all times, that, that's essentially like, what would the Emperor do uh, really comes through in this uh, in this part of it, I think. Uh, and it, it is shown in the book that he's like, oh yeah, you know, the Emperor told me once that uh, we would be able to reunite the entire galaxy if I made no mistakes, right? Uh, and it all comes down to that, where he's just like, oh, I can't just, you know, blast them because they have Xenos friends. Uh, I don't think that's what the Emperor would do. They have a lot of good tech. Uh, they seem to know what they're doing. I think I'm going to try and open this course with these guys and uh, and actually integrate them into the Imperium rather than annihilate them. Yeah, it's really interesting. that that The dialogue around... Uh, around whether to engage the interacts or not, uh, I thought it was really unique. And they go and they go down um, with with Ratman himself. The Ratman himself asks to tag along, and they go down to the interacts' planet. And it's a pretty cool place. They have a um, they have a lot of cool swords and guns. They got uh, laser bows. and that's and laser bows. Astartes, they're they're all over it. Um, this is what they live for. And and then there's there's a particular sword. Um, and Ratman picks it up, and everyone's like, "Ratman, what are you doing? Put it down." And he's like, "But it seems really cool." He's like, "Ratman, no." Bad Ratman. So bad Ratman. So Ratman scurries away, um, and then the Space Marines have dinner. Um, I'm sure it's probably a YouTube video like, "Do Space Marines eat?" Question mark <laughs> exclamation mark. That yeah, I guess so. I mean, Primarchs eat at least because Horus is at dinner, and Loken is. Loken's just chilling, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's looking just at some walking art. around, looking at art, reading some books. Looking at art, which I believe, if you read between the lines, uh, I think there's some mention. I think it notes towards chaos in the art because there's this chron- the Chronicles of Ursh, 
which is from like old Earth, our Earth, Siberia, I think. No, no, it's actually uh, the uh, Techno Barbarians just before the. Uh, I think there's even some mentions about the Emperor uh, rising up in the book itself, right? Might be wrong here. Oh, probably, probably. I think yeah, I forget when he rose. Yeah, Techno Barbarians. Um, I mean, yeah, they just sound they sound like a real piece of work in themselves. Um, not only are they barbarians, but they've got technology. Well, what if it's just lots of people music, are scared bro. of technology? Techno music, <laughs> Diplo's army. Uh, I could see DJ Marshmallow <laughs> leading a leading an army of like super super enhanced soldiers across a wasteland. Um, but yeah, I digest the. He meets a um, he meets a guard, doesn't he? He's like part of a royal guard. Yeah, he's one of the captains, almost. I think, uh, of the uh, of the like interesting. He's basically art. his his opposite, yeah, yeah. isn't he? Well, not uh, I'm sorry, not his opposite in the sense of they're completely different. In the sense of he's the, he's what the what Loken is to Horus, this guy is to the Interax leader, um, and he. Um, He's about to stop he, the entire Horus heresy, let's be honest. Yeah, they start talking, don't they? Yeah. And uh, letting on a lot more about the warp than than what Loken knew. But then it's all it all goes a bit wrong. He gets the he's like he's got the earphone in the in the ear, like finger to his ear, and he's like and Loken's thinking, Oh, what's going on? And then they basically they, they accuse um they accuse the the lunar wolves and Horus of being tainted by chaos. Don't yeah, they? no, that's that's such uh, a bad moment and not bad as in bad quality, but it's such a bad moment in the book where the guy is just, oh dude, you know you seem chill. I'm gonna talk to my guy over there that's talking to your guy, and I'm gonna tell him you guys are chill. And then all I know where he just stops. It's just like time just um, stops, bro. It's it's like in the, if you've seen uh, Marvel's Infinity War where they're about to get the glove off Thanos and then what's his name Skylord from the Guardians of the Galaxy starts punching Thanos in the face because he's pissed and then Thanos regains consciousness and you watch him like Spider-Man's just about got the the gauntlet off uh, off his hand and then Thanos wakes up grabs the gauntlet back kills everyone um, it was it was one of those moments wasn't it it yeah. was it was like they were so close Abnett, you're a little tease for listening. <laughs> He's so Why you gotta do this to me, bro? Uh, yeah. Um, and so it, it basically all kicks off. There's been an attack at the place with the laser bows. The laser bow storage uh, facility has been attacked. It's called, I think. Hall of Divine. That's that. Um, that's what you call. I, you know, I would perhaps call it Laser Bowville, <laughs> or you know, Super Laser Town. Um, I'm sure the interacts are either of ours sound good I guess um, and Horus is, is distraught isn't he because the um, the it all falls apart Horus is actually really close to convincing them to come back to the fold at least that's what he believes yeah Loken as well uh, with his fellow captain yeah um, and and um, battle breaks out basically and like Abaddon is like yes finally um, Loken's kind of just like he's disappointed Horus is is in like his dinner attire which I don't even know just like a robe yeah. it's like a man in a toga just running around saying please stop but at the same time he's got a giant sword and he's like yeah, he, doesn't, he doesn't have the sword yet like he's completely distraught right after the uh, the uh, that's dinner. right yeah and then when they finally retreat onto the hall of devices because he wants to see what's going on right and it's just burning yeah. up, and like one of the uh, Astaris gets shot by one of them laser bows, probably while some techno music is blaring as well. You know, complete. He rate. didn't have his hand stamped. Yeah. Didn't have his hand stamped from the first time he went in. <laughs> exactly. Like, Sorry, bro. mate. Like no, no trainers, no trainers in in laser <laughs> Absolute build. rave so that... going on, right? And Horus like snaps out of his um, of his little psychosis, I guess, uh, and just goes like, you know what? fuck you guys if you don't like us I'll just fucking destroy you um, just grabs a sword off the fall and a sword he's at didn't have his hand stamped poor guy dude uh, and just starts he just starts slapping ass isn't it he just starts going ham uh, just destroys the Interex, Uh even though most of the Mournival is going like we need to get out of here we need to get out of here 
or is this in such a these guys have just wronged me they've accused me of something I haven't done I'm just gonna kill them all and that's like yeah he's he's yeah he just it's like the you know sorry go on it's a but it's the first um the first signs of things perhaps going quite yeah um and then we get i remember this very well it's been about a year since i listened to horus rising but uh the the epilogue which is you know rat man supreme man in his rat cave dude rat is his rat cave (laughs) he's uh and he's playing with with this with the sword from laserville yeah, um, that theme. I don't. I don't really, yeah, but do we know that that's the yeah, name? That's of it? the name of it. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but yeah. I, but he knows he's he's up to something. Um, if you if if this is you know if you're a first re- first time reader of a Horace Heresy, you just know this guy's up to no yeah. good. And um, and he and he also is has got the uh, Horace's fleet that um, going on a diversion to a place called Davin. And on that very so- ominous note, um, the book ends. The book ends, and we're left wanting more. Uh, now, as we round up the episode, wait, wait, wait. before 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 uh, we do that, let me just add something else. All right, uh, to anyone listening, if you ever find yourself in a place that is only frequented by other rats and vermin and stuff, uh, and you're sniffing warpstone or something with some weird ass sword in your hands, you might want to consider that you're the bad guy. Uh, yeah, consider your life choices. <laughs> exactly. Uh, friends don't let friends become rats. Exactly, dude. That's, that's it. That's, there you go. Um, so we'll move on to the final stage. Favorite moment of the book? Rather, I'll let you go first. Right. I've talked. I've talked to a little. Uh, it's really got to be uh, when the uh, when the Interex guard is talking to Loken, and there's that tension where you're like, dude, if this goes through, like the entire book is. Uh, the entire series really is over because it's like, oh, dude, this is such a big moment. If if this guy actually gets through to, uh, if Loken gets through to the uh, Interrex captain, and the captain actually goes on to tell uh, the other guy that these guys, these these guys are good. These are actually our cousins. They're not here to harm us, right? Like the entire yeah. Horus Heresy is forfeit, and it's such a heartbreaker when you because. Particularly because they, they, he's directly talking about chaos. Yeah, he's about to reveal it's like what it they is. Can, they're, they're, they can educate Horus on it. Yeah. And then, and then it's um, like the moment you hear, like I was very confused about what was going on at first, but like as I imagine Loken and Horus were. Uh, but when you hear that the Hall of Devices is on fire, uh, since I already know, uh, you know, that one of the most hated characters in the entire franchise is on board this vengeful spirit, or at least on the Interx planet. I, I went immediately like Erebus, what have you done, right? Like that moment. That's right. Uh, I I think that was you know, the the best moment of the book. Although I had a, a few other choices, but yeah. There's a lot of good moments. Ab Abnett King praise. Beloved he, by all. He killed it. He he killed it because he's obviously come in, and this is the first one of the series. He was no sweat. I and I imagine the guy. I don't even think he blinked. I figured. <laughs> It's just a, you just an absolute machine. Just pulled three all-nighters uh, writing the entire book. Yeah, uh, that's just a normal day. There's no such thing as an all-night. <laughs> it doesn't exist. But um, my favorite moment. There's a particular moment after Loken nearly rushes. After Loken rushes a frat and nearly becomes a bro, he's just sort of. There's some actual happy emotion displayed by the Space Marine. It's got like Togan, I believe he's like. He's like jumping in the hallway, smacking, seeing how high he can hit the uh, hit the ceiling and yeah, stuff, like the, and just the pipes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, because he's just having a great time. His mates, his mates, gonna join his frat, <laughs> and they're gonna get to drink Bud Light together every day and bench Land Raiders, and and I, you know, it, that that's why I think I came back and gave it sort of. We sort of talked about hope as a big theme, uh, because there's a lot of like happy memories for for the legionaries in this. Um, and it's all about to get ruined by Ratman, so thanks for nothing, Ratman. Um, Goddamn, I can't, Ratman. you know, I can't wait, Varela. I can't wait to see your opinion on um, on the next book once you've uh, once you've finished oh, it. I'm already like um, halfway through, and I gotta say, Goddamn, Ratman. Goddamn, Ratman. Um, so, final thing: scores on the doors, book rating. 
Uh, for me, having read, you know, probably about uh, close to 15 novels in the Horus Heresy now, 9.7. I won't give anything a 10 because that's that's perfection and then nothing can be better than it. But 9, 9.7, Abnett King, praise, killed it. Uh, Varela, how I'd about give you? it like a 9.4. A 9.4. Yeah. There you have it. Um, folks, it's been an absolute blast uh, doing this first episode. I've, I've had a great time. Uh, Varela, you enjoyed yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, although, sitting in this, while I'm cramped like this, kind of hurting my back. Uh, are you are you proud I didn't met? I mean, I, w- uh, I, I was going to make a joke. You know what? <laughs> it's in our Twitter bio, people already yeah. know. Yeah. Um, guys, if you did like this, again, if any any support you can give share it to your friends uh like or retweet the tweet uh that this comes from that would be that would be awesome we're going to be bringing out one a week so next week is false gods uh what will ratman do next the chronicles Um, of ratman uh, yeah Uh, hey you know i'm sure they might consider changing the horus heresy to the chronicles of ratman if we ask a better name let's be honest we'll write an email we'll form an email uh, get a change.org petition going. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, from me saying it's goodbye. And from Varela. I mean, it's also goodbye, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> well, you, you could just sit in silence for another five minutes. But thank you so much for listening. Bye now. <laughs>